0: I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 4. So if you are a first-time guest, we are in the midst of a series uh, where we are um, using the story of a young man named Daniel as well as his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as the backdrop for understanding how God wants you and I to um, live for him even whilst we live in the midst of a culture that is... Um, Opposed to his rule or to his way. And the last several weeks, we've been asking this question, how should a follower of Christ live in a culture that fails to acknowledge God? How should a a believer, how should one who loves God, who follows Christ, live faithfully in a culture that um, opposes the way of Christ? And what we've covered over these last several weeks are... uh, Action steps that we can take, not just one day out of the week, but really every day of our lives in every circumstance or situation we find ourselves in. And the first we learned is is the need to, re, to, to resolve in our hearts to honor God. We looked at the story in chapter one of when uh, Daniel and his friends were presented food from the king's table, but they chose not to eat it, not to defile themselves specifically because... This was food that had been dedicated to idols. And because they saw themselves as identifying with the God of, 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 of the Israelites, Jehovah, and that to to partake of this food would, would as it were, suggest um, acquiescing or embracing an idol or paganistic uh, lifestyle, they refused, they chose not to. And God honored their commitment to stand by him. Uh, we learned in week two that we need to trust God's rule. And we learned that by looking at the example of what happened when, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his friends, uh, and, and including Daniel, excuse me, were, were were tasked with the responsibility of interpreting the king's dream. Not only interpreting the king's dream, but telling the king what this dream was. It was so troubling to the king that he wanted to know what it was and what it meant. And when his uh, wise men could not interpret this dream, let alone even tell him what this dream meant, he threatened to take their lives. But God raised Daniel and his friends. Uh, Because these four men honored God and they put their trust in God in the midst of a chaotic time. And we talked about the importance of trusting God's rule in our lives over the chaos and confusion that oftentimes is indicative of a world that is rejected or a society that has rejected God. Uh, Last week, we talked about the need to live with conviction. And we looked at the story of Dan, uh, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, when they were confronted with the uh, opportunity to either bow to this uh, golden statue that the king had erected or be thrown into a fiery furnace. And these three young men told the king that it didn't matter what he did to them, that they were not going to bow down because they, they, because they served the greater God. And the scripture says that when uh, Nebuchadnezzar had them thrown into that fiery furnace, Uh, behold something miraculous took place three men were thrown into a fiery furnace and yet Nebuchadnezzar saw four men standing in that furnace no harm to them no injury to them not even the smell of smoke on these young men and the fourth Nebuchadnezzar stated looked very much like the son of God he identified that this fourth person who stood with them in that furnace represented divinity and and again because these three young men were committed to living with conviction, they were able to stand for the Lord. And God, in turn, honored their stand. Today, I want to focus on the importance of giving God credit. Everybody say, give God credit. Give God credit. In fact, look to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Amen. It is important that you learn to give God credit. Now, what am I saying when I say credit? I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about finances. I'm not talking about a credit card system here. That's not what we're talking about. Well, what I'm saying is, acknowledging God for who he is. And when we acknowledge God for who he is, we, we live in light of who he is, what we know about him. And, and and the story that helps illustrate this point is found in chapter 4, where we the gist of it is we read about Nebuchadnezzar refusing to acknowledge God's sovereign providence and him being humbled royally. Humbled royally by his insistence on... on um, basically elevating himself above uh, where he really should have seen himself. Uh, there's, there's this word that you've heard before, and it's a word that we are constantly cautioned against, uh, that we're constantly warned to guard against, because this, this attitude tends to set us up for failure. In fact, Scripture warns us strongly about this, and it's this word called pride. I don't know about you, but many, many times I grew up, as I was growing up, Especially when I was being corrected, you know, my parents would say to me, "Stop being so prideful that you are, uh, that you feel yourself to be above correction. Learn to be corrected. Learn to take correction. Learn to see the value in correction, because you're still a work in progress. You've not arrived. You're still learning. Uh, it is a prideful heart that resists correction. It is a prideful heart that that sees itself as as something more than it really is. Um, and, and so we we see pride at work in Nebuchadnezzar's. Um, encounter with God or is 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 the way he he basically regarded himself I want to share with you a quick quote that I came across as I was preparing this message it says that pride is so subtle that if you and I are not careful we'll be proud of our own humility have you ever met people who are so proud of their even the, they're proud of the fact that they're they're humble I am such a humble person that's pride like <laughs> You know, you can be so proud of yourself that, you, are, you, 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 that, that you, you become proud of your humility. And this is what this writer says. When this happens, our goodness becomes badness. Our virtues become vices. And we become easily like that Sunday school teacher who, having told the story of the Pharisee and the publican, said, Children, let us bow our heads and thank God that we are not like the Pharisees. Because the reality is, is, that, is this. Pride is something that we all struggle with. Pride is that feeling that we are uh, what we may not necessarily be in reality. We want to think of ourselves as better, or as greater than, or as, as more more valuable than, or more or worth more than than we really are. And and it can be a, a, such a tremendous danger not only in our interaction with each other, but even more so our interaction with God. In fact, Scripture says that God God detests pride. It's something that he 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 cannot stand because. Pride is like a wall that causes us to, to, to not be able to interact with God in the way we're supposed to, where we see God as existing for us when we really, in fact, do exist for him. It is pride, the Bible says, that caused Satan to be kicked out of, the, out of, out of, out of heaven because Satan believed that he could become like God. He wanted, he wanted what was not his, and so in the story we're about to read, we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar go through the same. So of course, you know, if you follow if you followed Nebuchadnezzar's story all the way from chapter 1, instance after instance, you've seen God demonstrate himself before this king in ways that would have made it obvious to this king that, that the God of the Israelites is, is no joke, that he's not just some silly idol that we just worship or we bow we hope he will answer our prayers no he is real he listens he responds um he has a will and and he he imposes his will on those who will follow him and and you would have thought that nebuchadnezzar would have learned his lesson that that this god of the israelites is not a god to be trifled with so when you look in chapter 3, remember the story of what, oh, chapter 2, excuse me, the story of the dream that he had, where he saw this statue erected, and, and this statue uh, looked like a figure, and, and, and every part of this, there were several parts of this statue that were, that, were, that were based off of different elements, gold, silver, iron, you know, a mixture of iron and, 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 um, and clay, and every one of these represented something. And... The gold in that, in chapter 2, represented Nebuchadnezzar, represented his rule, his reign. And for whatever reason, we remember in chapter uh, 4, Nebuchadnezzar decided he was going to erect a statue similar to the statue he had seen in his dream, but it was going to be made of gold to represent in his mind what would have been an eternal rule. And yet, once again in chapter 4, we then find Nebuchadnezzar having yet another dream. And in this dream, he sees a tree. He sees this tree that's in the middle of a field. It's a majestic looking tree. This tree is so magnificent that, that, that according to Nebuchadnezzar, that not only is, is, is its, is its, um, its uh, branches reaching up to the heavens, but that even animals are, are coming under this, this tree. People are coming under this tree for shelter. Um, and this tree can be seen from far and wide. It was such a magnificent structure. Its influence was expansive. But then all of a sudden Nebuchadnezzar in this dream hears a voice calling out from heaven commanding for this tree to be cut down. And that this tree would be cut down but that only a stump would be left, right? And that, and that attached to that stump would be a chain. And that this, this stump would eventually or this tree eventually representing a man would live like an animal for seven years until he would acknowledge, this individual would acknowledge that, that God, the God of, of, of the Israelites is sovereign, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and of course he remembers this dream vividly, he remembers every detail. And so as before he went to his wise men and said hey gentlemen I need to know what this dream means. It's disturbing, it's troubling. And so the wise man again for whatever reason, we, well. We, we, there's no forever reason they, they, they could not interpret it because they don't know God. And so these wise men say to the king, we don't know what this dream means. And so the king goes to Daniel because of course Daniel had interpreted a dream so many years before. And Daniel tells the king, this is what this dream means. And in verse 29 is where we're going to pick up. Um, if you turn up Bible with me in verse 29, scripture says that Daniel told the king what this dream meant and essentially told the king, king, this dream is about you. This tree that you saw in this dream represents you. And it represents judgment that is getting ready to happen to you unless you are willing to acknowledge God as being sovereign. And the scripture says that Nebuchadnezzar heard this. He heard that Daniel's warning. And then a year went by, and this is what happened. In verse 29, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, this is what he said. Is not this the great Babylon that I, everybody say I, I. have built as the royal residence? By my, everybody say my, my mighty power and for the glory of my, everybody say my, My. majesty. The same man that had been warned just a year before, be very careful because this dream is, is warning you that if you do not acknowledge God, That if you fail to give God credit for the successes that you're enjoying, that this is what he's going to do. Twelve months later, he stands on the balcony of his palace and he begins to say these words. And this is what verse 31 says. Even as those words were on his lips, so he had not even finished saying what he was about to say. A voice came from heaven saying, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people. And you will live like the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times, translations put it, seven years will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and that He gives to them, He gives them, excuse me, to anyone He wishes. And immediately, verse 33 says, What had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, he was driven away from people, and he ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his, and his nails like the claws of a bird. God warned Nebuchadnezzar that if you fail to acknowledge me, if you, fa- if you fail to acknowledge me as the one who is behind your successes, then this is what's going to happen to you. And, and, and 12, 12 months went by and Nebuchadnezzar finds himself doing the very thing that God had warned him against. And true to his word, God pronounced judgment on Nebuchadnezzar. And and what you discover about chapter four is this: that it is exactly Nebuchadnezzar that is describing what happened. So it's not a sec, uh, uh, you know it's not a second or third party that's saying, "Oh, this is what we heard about King Nebuchadnezzar." No, Nebuchadnezzar is telling us himself, "This is what I went through because I went through a season of my life where." as much as I was exposed to God and exposed to his power and the reality of, his, of, of, of who he is and his rule and his will, that I still chose to withhold from him the, the credit, the glory that he alone deserves for the success that I enjoy. And Nebuchadnezzar essentially was saying, is, is saying to you and I, do not follow the same path I took because, because God is a jealous God. God. The glory that belongs to him, God will not give to someone else. God will not share His glory with another. And, and, and the, rea- the reality is God has every right to refuse to share His glory with anyone because nobody else is like Him. Nobody else compares to Him. And so we must learn our place. We must learn that our responsibility, our our role in this relationship with God is to acknowledge Him for who He is because, in fact, it is in the acknowledging God for who He is that God is able to elevate us and to and to, and to build our lives the way He desires to. But pride, friends, will always get in the way of us knowing God, of us walking with God, of us building a relationship with God. There are three lessons that I want to share with you very quickly this morning um, that we learned from his story. Nebuchadnezzar's story about, about pride. And, and, and the danger of allowing pride to creep up in our hearts and what we must do to keep from it creeping up in our hearts. The first thing we learn is this, that when we fail to acknowledge God for who He is, that it opens us up to self-deception. Every one of us has the capacity to be self-deceived in, in the sense that we can embrace what is not true about us and believe it so strongly that we literally are, are, are shielded, our, our minds are closed, to the truth and we embrace a lie. I mean, think about it, I mean, you, you probably have met somebody before who, who, has, who, has, who has rehearsed a lie so many times that it, now it sounds true. That even they can't tell you what's the difference between what's true and what's a lie. Because what, what, has, what has happened is they've, they've chosen the, out of the pride of their hearts to embrace an idea of themselves that is far from reality. What pride does is pride gets you and I to think that we are something that we are not. Pride gets us to think that we have what we don't have, that we can do what we really cannot do. Think about it. When you look at what happened all the way back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden when, when the serpent came to Adam and Eve, he, he, had, he, he, he tapped into that propensity to be prideful. Because what happened was when he came to her, her Eve and said, Did God say you must not eat of any tree in this garden? She said, No, what God said is we must not eat from this For if we do so, what will happen? We will what? We will what? We will die. And what the serpent's response to her was, no, you will not die. Instead, you become like God. That serpent tapped into the propensity that is in us to to want to see ourselves as, as more than we are. And so in Eve's mind, it made sense that this fruit that looked good to eat, could possibly get her to a place or a state that she had yet attained but what he did not tell her was that because because her, her 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 actions were based off of pride or based off of a desire to elevate herself beyond where god had put her that it was in fact sin when we fail to acknowledge god for who he is when we fail to recognize god for who he is we open ourselves up to self-deception and Satan feeds off of that. Satan's desire is to get us to think we don't need God, That we, to get us to think that we can manage without God, that we can handle ourselves without God, that we can we can resolve our circumstances without His help, that we don't have to do it His way, we can do it our way. Why? Because somehow our way can be better than His way. When we fail to acknowledge God, when we fail to follow him, when we fail to honor him, we open ourselves up to self-deception. I want you to hear what Paul says in Romans chapter 1 verse 21. And this is critical because Paul is describing not just the people of his time, but he's describing people of all time. And in, in this conflict between a desire to please God and a desire to please the flesh, he says about those who fail to acknowledge God, that even though they know God, in other words, the preceding verses tell us that, that, that there, there is nobody on the earth that can ever be able to say that there is no God, really because God has provided evidence that He exists. He has provided signs all around us that He exists. So that nobody's with the, nobody has an excuse. But he acknowledges here in verse 21 that even though God has provided signs, evidence to demonstrate that he is who he says he is and that that he is real, that knowing God, people choose to not give him the honor that belongs to him. So when people back in Bible times were worshiping idols, that's what they were doing. They were giving honor to idols that belonged to God. When they were when when they were, when when you have you know, certain certain civilizations or cultures that would that would promote the worship of a of a religion of a ruler or or of an emperor, what they were doing is they were taking what belonged to God and they were ascribing it to somebody else. And this is what Paul says happens. That not only do they not give God the honor that belongs to him, nor do they thank him, but instead as a result of this their minds have become complete nonsense. Their thoughts, excuse me. And their empty minds are filled with darkness. So what Paul says is that when we fail to acknowledge God, we open ourselves up to lies. We open ourselves up to, to, to ideas and to, and, to, and to a mindset that, is, that, is, that, that removes us from the truth. And it, and it takes us further and further from the truth the longer we embrace it. When we fail to acknowledge God, we are opened up to self-deception. And God's desire is that we not be deceived. In fact, Scripture warns us over and over about this, this danger of being deceived, but notice that Scripture always points us back to who? Him. It's not about you just simply coming to a realization that, that, oh, you're walking in deception. No, it's about going back to God, focusing on Him, and in focusing on Him, dis- discerning that the way that you've been towing is really not the truth. Because the idea is that, it's, 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 it's that God serves as the, as the barometer. He serves as the yardstick, the measuring tool to define whether anything else is right or wrong. I said this to you a few weeks ago that, that it, it is not we or society that determines what is right and wrong. It is not, it is not government that determines what is right and wrong. It is God that determines what is right and wrong. And ultimately, we will all give account, not, by, not according to our standard, but according to his. Why? Because he... Is God, and so there's a warning to to not not open ourselves up to self deception because we fail to acknowledge God. But here's the second thing we discover: is this and that, that God mercifully exposes our sin so that you and I can escape His judgment. Notice what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. Now we 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 look in chapter four at what at, at the experience he had twelve months before his downfall. But really, God's warning to Nebuchadnezzar had happened way before. Um, according to historians, that particular dream that he had in chapter 2 happened 25, 26 years before. So this is not Nebuchadnezzar's first encounter with God. What happened in, you know, with, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown into the fire furnace, it didn't just happen recently. These are things that had happened over a period of time to expose Nebuchadnezzar to the reality that the God of the Israelites is real and that he is the ultimate God. There is no one like him. And yet... Nebuchadnezzar chose to ignore mercy. He chose to ignore God's warnings. I am grateful, friends, that God doesn't just judge me the first instance that he brings me to a reality of of what is right or wrong in my life. I am grateful. Not not to suggest this morning that we are to take advantage of the grace God extends to us. You know, that, well, you know, God, I'll I'll live the way I want to live, and then, you know, knowing that tomorrow you'll give me a chance. No. We, we, God doesn't owe us opportunities to make things right. If, if God was going to be fair and just, the moment we sin, the moment we violate His law, God, God, God is supposed to judge us. We're supposed to be condemned. God shouldn't have to do anything He does to redeem us. And yet the Bible says that God does. Why? Because it is not His will that any perish. Why would He warn Nebuchadnezzar 12 months before what ended up happening took place? If not, because God cares for Nebuchadnezzar, even though Nebuchadnezzar may not, have been, may not have a heart for God, a desire for God, but God cared for him. And God wanted him to walk in truth. God wanted him to not, to not walk in self-deception. That's why God warned him. So notice in, verse, in, in, in verse, uh, verse 27, after Daniel has interpreted the dream, this is what he says to the king. Be pleased to accept my advice. This is a, a, a godly man speaking to an unrighteous king saying, Accept my advice. Renounce your sin by doing what is right. And your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Then he was saying to the king, King, God is warning you as to what will happen if you continue to tow this road of pride and self-deception. Because God doesn't want you to go down that road. God takes no pleasure. In our destruction God takes no pleasure in in us having to deal with the consequences of our sin you know as, as a parent I think about when my kids do something wrong you know and I, and I have to discipline them I don't I don't derive joy in disciplining my kids but I do because I need to I have to it's not a, it's not something that I, I, I look forward to but it's something that is necessary why because it's important that they understand that 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 disobedience or, or or not doing what they're supposed to do that there's consequences that follow, and in the same way God doesn't take any pleasure in our destruction. So God is like that teacher that, of course, we, this doesn't happen in real life, but but God is like that teacher who He gives you a test, but before you take the test, He gives you the answers to the test because He doesn't want you to fail. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? God goes out of His way to ensure that we do not we do not. Walk, walk, away, walk the way of sin, and have to deal with the consequence of sin. And this is what he did with Nebuchadnezzar. Here, he mercifully exposed his sin of pride, so that he would escape judgment. But of course, we know the story. Nebuchadnezzar did not heed God's warning. When God brought judgment, Nebuchadnezzar could not say, "God, you're not fair. God, you're not righteous in what you've done." God, you are, you, you, you didn't act in my best interest. No. Why? Because God had, had, had over and over demonstrated to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, there's a way that you're going that will lead to destruction. You need to shift. You need to change course. I love how Ephesians 5, verse 13 and 14 puts it, and I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible Translation. It says, But, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. All things become visible when they are exposed by the light. The light, specifically, of God's precept or God's instructions for it is light that makes everything visible for this reason he says awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine as dawn upon you and give you light too often you know the the, the world wants us to think that being exposed to the light of Christ means that you don't get to do the things that you want to do but the reality is is that what what God's word does is it it, it reveals the destructive nature of sin i mean think about it if we just simply gauge sin by the effects or the the, the the enjoyment we get out of it we would all we would all be living in sin because can i tell you that sin can be fun sin can be enjoyable but the problem is when we are living in darkness we don't see the consequence we we, we gravitate toward the pleasure game and, and, and we fail to realize that there's a consequence a destructive consequence that follows in the same way when we are when we are walking in pride when we allow pride to take root in our hearts pride makes us feel like we are better than we, we are we are bigger than we are we are more important than we are and and we begin to see ourselves in, in a certain light and what happens is we be, Pride causes us to begin to do things, or, you know, make decisions, make choices, treat people in a way we should not treat them. But what we fail to realize is that there's coming a point where we will, we, we will, we, we will face the consequence of our living in pride, of our, of our making poor decisions and poor choices. Nebuchadnezzar experienced that firsthand. And if only he had listened to what Daniel had warned him the year before. God is saying to you, king, repent, renounce this way. This, this sin of pride is causing you to oppress people. It is causing you to treat people in a way that is, that is ungodly, that, is, that does not please God. It's causing you to, to, to act in a way that does not please God because you're failing to acknowledge God. If you repent, perhaps God will inc- or continue the, your, the prosperity he has given you because Nebuchadnezzar failed to listen. Judgment came. I'm so grateful for all the times where God has brought correction to my life. Why? Because it is an act of mercy. All the times that God brings correction to your life, it is an act of mercy. Because God doesn't want you to to go that way. He doesn't want you to to, to have to deal with the consequence of sin. And here's the last thing. We learn from Nebuchadnezzar's experience that in as much as God resists the proud, that God desires more so to elevate the humble. And toward the end of his story, um, Nebuchadnezzar describes, beginning in verse 36 that after that seven year period was over. Remember the voice from heaven said, for seven years, you will live like an animal. After that seven year period was, was over, Nebuchadnezzar says his sanity was restored. Now we're talking about the man who at a time was the most powerful ruler on the face of the earth, whose name was known far and wide and yet at the, at the command of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was rendered worse than an animal. And yet, after his sanity was restored, and his honor and splendor were returned for the glory of his kingdom, his advisors and his nobles sought him out, and scripture says he was restored to his throne, and Nebuchadnezzar says, I became even greater than before. And this is why. Not because God's expectation was that Nebuchadnezzar would come out of the seven-year period and then just go right back to what he was before. But because Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged God for who he is. Two things I want to point out to you. When you go back and read chapter 4, when Nebuchadnezzar first starts his story, he starts his story by exalting God. When he ends that story, he ends that story by again exalting God. I want to quickly read those two to you. In chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, To the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. This is Nebuchadnezzar. And these are words he's speaking after he has come out of that seven-year period of being debased. Now turn to verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honored and I glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? Stark contrast between a man who at one time saw himself as greater than anyone else. He had no equal, he had no rival. That song we just sang, you have no rival, you have no equal. We say that about God. Nebuchadnezzar was saying that about himself. I have no rival, I have no equal, no one compares to me. And God says, oops, nope, I am God. And God stopped him in his tracks and God had to remind him that he was not greater than, that he was not greater than God. And in the same way, we discover that as, as he went through this season of, of correction and he came out of it, that he, he recognized that God's desire is to, is to always elevate the humble. God will always elevate the humble. So when he comes out of this this seven-year period, God restores to him his his rule, his authority, his kingdom. But you you recognize that Nebuchadnezzar is a changed man. Now he realizes, even though I'm king, it doesn't stop with me. There's an authority greater than mine. And he acknowledged God. What he was unwilling to do all those years, he finally did. And notice, this is the last time we hear Nebuchadnezzar referenced in Scripture. We don't know what happened to him I mean, my expectation, my, 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 I would love to believe that Nebuchadnezzar lived for God beyond that point. I mean, of course, we know that, that eventually his son took over and, and, and you know, there were all kinds of changes that t- took place in, with Babylon. But at least as far as Nebuchadnezzar's story is concerned, we are left with this idea that he recognized that, there, that the, the God of, of the Israelites is God. And that ultimately, no matter how much I may attain in life, I will still sit under his authority. And when I acknowledge Him as God and as Lord and as ruler over all, that He is the one that elevates and not me elevating myself. James 4, verse 10, and I leave you with this. James writes, We humble ourselves before the Lord and He will lift us up in honor. Now again, understand this point that honor, lifting us up in honor, that honor does not always necessarily mean that God will um, give you more money or that it means a, a greater promotion at work. Again, we tend to think... Um, Superficial. Sometimes when we think about God's blessings, but God's blessings go beyond just the superficial things. God desires that when we humble ourselves, God elevates us. God exalts us. That God, God is the one that that, that, that comes behind us, and He, in, in the eyes of others, He 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 presents us as 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 this 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 influence, this, this individual that, that 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 operates with great power and great strength and great wisdom. Why? Because we're doing so under Him. We, but we must always remember, friends, that pride always comes before a fall, and that it is a principle we must, we must live by. I, I pray that I never ever get to a place where I see myself as, as more than, than I really am. I, I, I pray that, 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 if, if, that, that when pride seeps into my heart, that, that the Holy Spirit is cautioning me that I, that I will listen to him that I will heed his warning and I, and I will resist pride. Why? Because I don't want to have to deal with the consequence of, 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 of holding on to pride and allowing it to cause a cause fall in my life. Nebuchadnezzar is, a, is, is, is the, the story of Nebuchadnezzar is a lesson we must learn from. In fact, it's, it's that thing I heard a long time ago that, that a, 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 a wise person, not, they don't just simply learn from the, their mistakes, they learn from the mistakes of others. If we're to walk in wisdom, we must learn from this man's mistake and not make the same ourselves. You may say, well, Pastor John, I'm not in a position of influence. I'm not in a position of power or authority. Here's the thing, friends. Just because you don't have a title or, or a position to your name does not mean that you're not vulnerable to pride. In your relationship with whomever, in whatever circumstance you may be, pride can seep in again because the ultimate goal of pride is to cause us to see ourselves as not needing God. As, 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 as being able to function, being able to live without Him. But as i told you many times before, being a Christian is not about me proving to God how deserving I am of that moniker, that, that identity of being a Christian. It's not about me showing God, God, I deserve to be your follower. God, watch me. See how I'm proving myself to you. No, being a Christian is about living in greater dependence on Him. That the more we follow God, the more we are reminded how much we need Him and how dependent we are on Him and how we cannot live without Him. And, and and that's the kind of mindset god wants us to constantly have because because can i tell you this friends that's a hungry mindset that's a mindset that will keep going back to god over and over and over and over again As as jesus said we seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness it, it is a mindset that will constantly be hungry for god constantly be hungry for god to work in our lives to help us be be who he wants us to be uh, it is a mindset that that that, that makes us available to god to be used by him to accomplish what he wants to accomplish it is a mindset that says, God I've, God, I've not arrived. I'm a work in progress. I want you to work in my heart and life because as great as, as the things you've done, I believe that there's so much more you want to do. It's a hungry mindset that God desires to produce in us, but pride will always get in the way of that, and we must guard against that. And so again, on our way to heaven, let's learn from Nebuchadnezzar. Let's not allow God to humble us by putting us in a situation where we have to be forced to acknowledge who he is, let's do so willingly. Let's recognize our lowly state and allow God to elevate us and to make of us what he desires to, so that ultimately he gets the glory for everything that is happening in our lives and through our lives. Amen? I want to invite you to buy heads with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for the word that, that we've just read. And just as we've, these last several weeks, have been going through the story of, of Nebuchadnezzar, his friends, and now today we're talking about the king. Um, God, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful because every character in the scripture, Lord, every character in the Bible, God, we, we we can learn a lesson or two from their lives, from their story. Both those who made bad decisions and those who made good decisions. God, we can always learn from their stories. And from this story, we we learn about the importance of of guarding against, Lord, a prideful heart. And how easy it can be for us, Lord, to, to walk in self-deception and, and, to, and to fail to see the truth about ourselves and, and the reality of our, ultimately, God, our need for you in our lives. That, God, we can become so caught up in our accomplishments, our abilities, um, what people say about us, and... And that we begin to think that we are sufficient in and of ourselves. We don't need you. And yet the reality is is that every success, every accomplishment that we have gained, it ultimately is because of you. You are the one that gives us ability. You are the one that gives us authority. You are the one that gives us influence. You are the one that puts us in a position where we can um, uh, lead others, God, and impact other people's lives. And and none of it is of our own doing, Father. And, And yet when we fail to look to you to acknowledge you God we missed the mark we begin to look to ourselves and you've warned us in your word over and over God that pride leads to a fall there is nothing about pride that is ever good it always leads to destruction God I pray that you would help us Lord to guard against a prideful heart and that by being continually yielded submissive to you recognizing father that Lord you are the God that sits on the throne of our hearts and that God, we, we follow your lead, we, we acquiesce to your will, we do what you want, Father, so that ultimately it is your will that is accomplished in us. Help us, Father, to be people who are committed to your rule in our hearts and our lives. And that God, even in our maximum impact environment, in our jobs, in our schools, in our communities, Lord, as we interact and as we exercise the influence and the authority that you give us, Lord, God, the voice that you give us, Lord, in our culture, God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, be faithful stewards of those opportunities, Lord, recognizing that, God, anything we do, ultimately, God, we're representing you. And that, God, the opportunity that we have to influence and to impact other people's lives is ultimately so that they might know you and be drawn to you. And so, God, I pray that you would help us today, God, to be a people who walk humbly before you, Father who live in light of you, Father, of who you are, and trust that, Lord, as we are faithful, Father God, to live for you, that, God, you will elevate us, that, God, you are the one that will promote, you are the one that will exalt, and that, God, when you do so, God, we never have to be ashamed of it, Father, but that, Lord, we can we can be confident, Lord, that, that it is, it is in keeping with your will for our lives, but also for the work you have for us to do. And God, I pray if there's anyone that is here today who does not have a relationship with Christ. I, I thank you because it is in knowing Jesus that we discover the truth about, about who we are. I'm so grateful that that I had a personal encounter with the Lord that opened my eyes to the reality that salvation is not something that I, I experience because of what I do to earn your forgiveness, to earn your acceptance or approval. Salvation comes because we put our trust in Jesus, recognizing that, that, that truly there is nothing we could do about our own sin, but that you did everything to make a way for us, Lord, so that not only can we be forgiven of sin, but we can be set free from the power of sin so that we can live for you. And Lord, if there's anyone that is here today who does not know Jesus, I thank you that even now, Lord, if they will call on your name, that God, you will meet them in their place and point of need. Bring forgiveness, Father, restoration, God. And that, God, you would change them, Father God, and renew them, renew within them a right spirit and, and help them to know you, to live for you, to walk with you. Again, God, we thank you. And we thank you, Father, for your word. Pray the Lord, your word will continue, God, to find root in our hearts and our lives and to help us to live for you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.